0: But a question for this evening related to what artificial life can teach us about dealing with chaos, and this is both within our own artificial life simulations, and it was posed to me almost as the kind of this philosophy of artificial life, which I see, well, I mean, historically, I mean, it's come from the, the mid-90s with folks such as Margaret O. Bowden and Mike Badeau um, writing about the philosophy of artificial life, but you made an interesting comment with regards to... Uh, the possibility of pain and these kind of things and a lot of the early hard artificial life dealt with robots that actually had pain sensors on them so you could give them kind of pain feedback and what that would teach them as they move through the environment so this is all very interesting i know we've talked about this briefly in the past gerald but as you develop artificial life do you think of it as something that can create some kind of ph- meta philosophy that? maybe useful in the real world as well. Do you see that kind of that kind of linking or I mean are you still very much caught up in the fact that you're an abstract artist creating an artistic, you know, an artistic form?
1: Well, in uh, in my presentation to the to the Java group, I actually uh, went so far as to say it was a, a, a different programming paradigm, in, you know, in in a sense in the sense of programming it actually I think you know it's not something that necessarily necessarily uh, can be applied to all sorts of existing real-world problems straight away. But um, it it turns the tables in the sense that you know you're you're saying okay uh, let's construct a system that is scripted, but we're not going to write the script. In other words, you know you're you're. A, you're allowed, to, or your 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 job is to create the instructions. Uh, so you can define, so you define what can happen, but you can't define what does happen. And in a way, that that really turns the tables, and that's a learning experience to to be forced to come up with the possible instructions, and then just uh, surrender yourself to the fact that the instructions are going to self. You know, to write themselves, because uh, the scripts that, uh, first of all, scripts can't have syntax errors because they're binary, and second of all, as time goes on, the ones that survive into the future will be better in some way or other. But it really isn't predictable beforehand. So in a way, it's sort of turned the tables on the programmer, which is uh, which is definitely something worthwhile exploring.
0: Certainly. Well, I mean, if I can play out my own kind of thought experiment associated with this and also give the introduction again, because I'm not sure how much of this you actually heard. But in my chapter, I write about surviving chaos as being a metric for life. That The, the ability for um, you know, pre-Cambrian life forms to kind of irk their way through whatever chaotic environment they were, they were in was actually a relatively good test for life. And the question that came back to me from a, a reader of my chapter was, is there anything I can, you know, talk about in terms of surviving chaos in the real world, which is highly topical with my current situation, uh, from my experiments in artificial life? And the thought that came to me was with regards to the idea of the intelligent agent in an artificial life simulation, that really what the intelligent agent does, as the pre-Cambrian critter did, was irk out as much of as the external world that it can possibly understand through the limited sense data that it's given. And the reader passed me this idea of the Black Swan event, and I think, as with a number of other topics on Biosolite, I think it's probably better that the listeners go to Wikipedia and read what a Black Swan event is. But the two examples that are typically given are the stock market crash in 1989 and also September 11th, as being these, you know, catastrophic and, as particular authors would say, unintelligible events that occurred and the question back to me as an artificial life developer in terms of what from you know developing artificial life teach me about understanding these kind of events i thought initially was completely beyond the scope of artificial life development but then i started thinking about the ideas of what an intelligent agent is in a simulation and certainly with regards to you know those events and also the events we see currently with regards to the kind of current financial system the ability for people in positions of power and these kind of things to deny aspects of their own intelligent agency uh, to almost deny their own uh, interactions with the environment and the information that they're receiving is something which is very curious and I also reflected back in my early Noble Eight development that I thought if I was to stand in front of a Noble Eight, if this creature was to exist in front of me how would it differ from me through being a simulated agent. And the first thing that occurred to me, and I I write about this a little bit through the original manual, is the idea that the the noble eight acknowledges all the information that it is receiving in a very explicit way. And we as humans don't do that. We have mythology, we have lies, we have a wide variety of things which remove us from the sense data that is coming in primarily and construct these very elaborate in some way plausible deniability rules between us and what is going on in the outside world. So to play through the question as I saw it and the way that I used my kind of artificial life development to interpret it, the only thought that came to me is that there is an element of my own kind of political and intellectual pragmatism that has to apply to the solution in this case or the, the response. And I think certainly this is something that's gone on through, uh, particularly my discussions with you, Gerald, and a number of other folk in the community, that we really do, irrespective of what we learn from our simulations, there is always an element of, you know, some other abstract or particular idea that seems to map onto our response associated with them. I mean, do do you think it's possible to construct this kind of philosophy from artificial life simulating without taking... A good degree of our own kind of political or ideological baggage along for the description.
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say at a at a meta level for sure. I th- think think of it this way. Uh, uh, first of all, I would say that the the economic collapse that we're currently in is is not really a black swan. It was something that if you uh, if you look at the rules that were being followed and, and the way they were set up, it's it's the rules of the game were basically uh, you know leading to something like this. So it's just a question of time when when the thing will uh, will collapse. And I'm sure a lot of people were in the know about that. Uh, so it's not exactly a black swan, completely unexpected. But, but the
0: thing. interesting thing about oh. that is that all the examples given, including September 11th and 1989, are all things that the same. The same kind of description could say. I mean, there were a number of indicators with regards to September 11th leading up to the event.
1: One of the things that we can learn on a meta level from uh, from artificial life development for in, in this context is, is I think, uh, you know, the idea of having a bunch of um, Players playing according to the defined rules, whatever they may be, and and searching out every nook and cranny in those rules to uh, to be successful themselves. I mean, anybody who has played with evolutionary systems, I remember hearing this from uh, from Adam Aramienko quite a bit. You know, the 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 special talent that these systems have is that they uh, they find every corner of. What you've defined, and they will, uh, they'll completely spiral out of control if they find something that you hadn't anticipated and uh, you know the the financial rule systems are also you know just sort of a limited def- definition of what's possible and, and what's not and uh, the, the thing you, you can learn from it is that individual agents will uh, will just search and search and search for their own, uh, for their own advantage and, and any hole in the rule system will be it will be used and when you're saying something about uh, surviving chaos I mean the thing that comes to mind for me is just the idea of replication if you've got enough individuals and if, if an individual can just uh, you know replicate itself uh, to, to fill the entire environment then then all sorts of chaotic events can happen which you know may decimate large proportions of an existing population of genes but not every single one of them which means that of course the the remaining ones can replicate again so just the simple fact that you're replicating to fill every hole is the way that uh, you know that surviving chaos can can be described
0: were you able to listen to the last uh, podcast with uh, bruce and dick gordon and myself talking about the evo grid
1: yeah i did
0: so there's an idea that both dick and bruce are talking about currently associating with Um, having levels of detail and moving from one kind of physics environment to another physics environment associated with boundary conditions which are going to be defined in some way. I've been prompting both of them to actually give some kind of definition so I can give a kind of counter example. But do you think, I mean, certainly I think in some regard Adam Aramenko is agreeing with what I'm saying, that these kind of boundary conditions will be the first things that the, the algorithms exploit and really all you're doing in these circumstances where you create these boundary conditions is finding the fastest possible path between the boundary conditions to move to the next level i mean is this your thinking as well with regards to the idea of you know multi-scale physics as applied to something in the evo grid
1: yeah well when i was listening to that podcast i was uh, chomping at the bit wishing i was on call and wishing <laughs> i was able to able to respond um because you know it, you know i appreciate uh, uh, dick's uh, approach in in as i've been saying before you know w- what we're doing is simulation and that's uh, it's a question of you know collecting a bunch of shortcuts uh, you know even the description of of um, how planets uh, travel in their orbits is is a shortcut you know we have a a very uh, concise description of uh, mechanics of, of you know uh, bodies in space traveling around each other but in in reality we have to admit that these forces are probably uh, taking place at the subatomic level so you know this, uh, this description of how the, how the earth is traveling around the sun is, is a shortcut and you know uh, um, Dick's idea is that you know once you've recognized that you've passed a particular uh, threshold then you can sort of switch gears into a new representation, which is uh, another level of shortcut, uh, you know, that, that describes things in a different way. Suddenly you don't have to worry about atoms. Instead, you worry about membranes or something like this, you know, taking these steps. To me, that was, um, if you take that process as uh, as as your way of operating, I think you're, you're, you're you you will constantly have to defend yourself against um accusations of intelligent design because you're just you know you're saying at a certain point okay this is now obviously the case so we move on to the next level of physics and we have something like this again and then we move on to the next level of physics it seems really you know contrived in a way uh, to to make those steps and what will be what what's the thing we have to watch for is is when we actually detect a change happening at the level that we're talking about rather than worrying about or talking about going to the next level i would like to see an actual and and, you know discuss and prove that an actual change took place in the physics level that you're talking about you know that's and then each one again i i don 't see the the switch from one level to another you know from one physics to a new physics to be something that uh, that really proves much in a way you 're just saying okay i 've given up on that level uh, i can 't simulate this all, so i 'm going to have to take uh, the following bunch of shortcuts and pretend i'm at another level, and then we can observe something happening again, Each one of those instances are interesting, but the progression from one to the other. Uh, will require the, the, the utmost of, uh, you know, explanation and defense because I think that's, that's when you're really treading on thin ice.
0: Exactly. And, I mean, how does novelty traverse in these kind of in methods as well? I mean, certainly, similarly, I was on the call and unfortunately it ended prematurely and I shot Dick a few emails following saying exactly what you were saying, but also I had a concern that it should be possible in... You know, Dick's levels of detail to jump multiple levels of detail if something evolves so rapidly that it, you know, it solves two conditions to move up two jumps. And the idea of how you actually kind of continue to map novelty. And I also have this concern with regards to using just real world simulation. I mean, taking existing particle physics simulator and then saying that this will be sufficient to create, you know, multicellular creatures from it through some kind of evolution of levels of detail i mean yes i think what's interesting to me and this is something that i've tried to prompt bruce about is that the folks that have actually developed artificial life simulations can immediately attest to the fact that this is an interesting idea but something that will fundamentally won't work and i think adam Aramenko, yourself myself i mean you know we're a team of three at least currently hopefully we can prove to bruce in the right direction but i think the idea of specifying these things in advance is something that concerns me as well, which is basically what you were saying. But, I mean, if you have five levels of detail that are specified and you start the EVO Grid at the most basic level of detail, you really are presupposing what these what these changes are going to be in the future, which just, uh, you know, as, as a simulator, affects me as well. So, Gerald, I will, um, I will make sure both Bruce and Dick listen to this section of the podcast and respond accordingly, because I think this is going to be a... A continued topic of discussion. But returning to the ideas of of surviving chaos, I mean, do you think this is an adequate description of artificial life, or do you think it's one of the many descriptions of of artificial life um, that you know we can use within our own simulations, or possibly map back into biology somehow?
1: Well, the, the only way to survive chaos is to sort of anticipate possible changes and, uh, you know, to possible changes in the future and, and that has to be done in, in an exploratory way. So, you know, the, uh, the, the, the way biology does it is, is just to produce all sorts of variations in the hope that if the environment changes, well, not in the hope, it's just accidental, of course, but, uh, the the reason it survives is is because uh, a change in in um, environmental characteristics happens to be advantageous for one of the uh, mutations that has a little difficulty in the current world you know so uh, there there has to be a certain random exploration of the nearby uh, you know uh, physics space if you will and and so when things change, that there are at least a couple of examples who can uh, be successful and start replicating themselves and, and take advantage of it while the others die off. Um, back to this idea of, you know, the different physics levels. Uh, I saw a presentation once, a keynote presentation by a guy from uh, Belgium, uh, a researcher called uh, um, uh, Stales, S-T-E-E-L-S. Uh, Luke that I think it is, and, and he was talking about this idea of recruitment which was uh, really stuck with me. It was really fascinating. The idea is that um, significant changes in the process of evolution happens when um, already evolved skills are recruited to do something that they weren't evolved to do. And uh, so when these sort of lateral switches happen in the sense that, you know, you've If by, by virtue of evolution and survival, you've developed certain, certain abilities or certain, you know, senses or muscular abilities or whatever else. And then the situation changes and it turns out that it's fairly easy to recruit an existing skill to do something different in a different scenario, which makes for, you know, a surprising uh, ability to survive because the skill is already developed for uh, a previous purpose. So that that's a fascinating thing, and I think that will appear to be one of the uh, the things that we observe in a single level of physics, at least. You know, when we're thinking of uh, observing, you know, when something significant has happened, I think this this idea of recruitment is is going to come back.
0: So that's very interesting. I mean, I think certainly what we're discussing with regards to agents, but even down to the um, down to the Evo grid, I mean, this this really also ties in very neatly with regards to the idea of surviving chaos, because what you're doing is creating skills which through, you know, whatever happens in the future, be it chaotic, be it ordered, be it what have you, you have to utilize what has already been created in order to deal with what is what is coming in, uh, up in the future. So, Rudolf, as you, as you listen to this discussion, do you have any, any questions or any thoughts
2: there's one thing that I would like to mention. It's news that I uh, came up, came across recently. And that's a new search engine that's being launched, Wolfram Alpha. There's a very interesting interview with Rudy Rucker about it. Have you heard of it?
0: Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it.
2: Well, it's going to be a search engine which um, creates a page based on your search query. And it creates a custom-designed web page with the answer to your query. And it's trying to, to have some intelligence to the answers as well. Um, it's created by Stephen Wolfram. And well, he's a genius programmer and writer. And he's got this interview with uh, Rudy Rucker. And it's really interesting. I really encourage you and all the listeners to uh, to look it up and to uh, listen to that podcast It's available online for a free download. And yeah, basically, I'm very excited about it because uh, this is a search engine that is going to be able to answer your specific questions. So one of the examples that it mentioned is that if you uh, query it with the length of the Golden Gate Bridge and the height of the um, Mount Everest, then it will create an answer for you displaying how often the Golden Gate Bridge would fit into the Mount Everest, for instance. And, yeah, I'm really curious to see how far this would go because if you can create an answer like that, uh, the next step might be creating an answer to a question like what would the 69th symphony of Beethoven have sounded like if Beethoven was still alive? So I hope this, this software is going to create like a database of knowledge and would be a next step towards creating intelligence in computers.
0: And I mean, certainly we had itself it's on uh, the the podcast last year and my understanding is yeah. this is what they're trying to do at Lilly internally. I know, through my own uh, work, uh, a few other companies that are trying to do similar things with regards to um, intranet within their own company searches. I mean, obviously, there are large companies that have substantial, um, you know, data mining opportunities within their own private networks as well. And I think this has been the, the holy grail both within the kind of uh, you know, public search domain and also the um, corporate kind of private search domain, and particularly with regards to pharmaceutical companies, uh, because of all the all the possible um, connections with regards to the information that they contain internally. So yes, I think this is an emerging field. And in terms of um, in terms of artificial life's contribution to this specifically, what's your thinking, Rudolph?
2: Well. I'm afraid it's more AI than artificial life. But, uh, yeah, it all depends on how you would define life and artificial life. And to me, as a biologist, it doesn't really matter much uh, as long as it produces the results, you know. I mean, in certain definitions, uh, all of our culture and cars could be named alive. And I frankly agree with that because uh, you can see evolution in makes and models of cars as well as in classical life than that you see in trees and, and things like that. I mean, it's fair to say that cars evolve a lot quicker than trees do at the moment. And, well, they, they are certainly an extrapolation of our human life and culture. So why not call them artificial life and why not call a search engine like this uh, the next expression of our life and
0: culture. Well, it certainly makes a strong claim that the algorithms that they use uh, for these kind of uh, intelligent searches are very well uh, based in in artificial life. Um, And I think what you find um, with regards to these kind of technologies is whilst they may not be explicitly shown as artificial life, the the underlying algorithms tend to either explicitly be artificial life-related or at least have artificial life-related roots. Joel, do you know anything about the search engine? Do you have anything to add?
1: no I'd let, I'm going to definitely take a look at that. i 'm a big fan of Stephen Wolfram ever since I was uh, on vacation once and submerged myself in a new kind of science, which was a very thick book to have on your uh, on your deck chair. You know it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a serious you know several inches thick uh, volume. But it was uh, it was just just wonderful. So he's he's done uh, done amazing stuff. So it's got to be it's got to be interesting. By the way, I was thinking in terms of you know evolving culture and uh, and making the analogy to artificial life. I would say that uh, maybe the the current economic crisis was an extinction event for the SUV.
0: Possibly or an extinction event for a wide variety of things. I mean, certainly talking to uh, to Greg Boyd last night. He's a New Yorker of the seem to be. Uh, a wide variety of extinction events associated with creatures that used to uh, exist in new york city um, but i yeah, imagine,
1: imagine imagine the scurrying the creatures scurrying out of New York City these days uh,
0: yeah well that's exactly what he's saying, so yes maybe maybe we've got a maybe we've got a lot more to give with artificial uh, life developers to uh, to social theory so I'd, I'd like to thank you both for the opportunity to to chat this evening i mean certainly we've touched on a few of the issues um, that the the reader uh, corresponded with me about and I think this may be an ongoing topic of discussion and I mean Gerald in particular it's wonderful to have you on and have the chance to chat more about the developments of of Darwin at home and I mean please come back on on a regular basis as you have done and and fill us in with the developments and I mean Rudolf it's wonderful that you're going to be recording uh, podcasts in the near future and I mean certainly this is stuff that Gerald and I have been doing for a while and I think both Gerald and I have had uh, you know, real fun with regards to recording podcasts as a means of uh, bringing new people into the discussion and also kind of giving a pulse with regards to our existing projects do you get a sense, Rudolph, in terms of your time frame for, for recording the podcast?
2: Yes uh, I've talked to uh, my first guest speaker and he will be available next week so yeah, I think uh, before the end of the month I should have a first episode up.
1: Terrific. By the way, by the way, uh, uh, uh Rudolf and I are both attending uh, Dick Gordon's Second Life course, uh, Embryo mm-hmm. Physics, which is also I've been there uh, a number of times already. That's yeah, fascinating mm-hmm. as well. I ha- I once had a a nice 2-hour discussion with uh with Dick after after the first course I attended and uh, we had a, a really uh, fascinating exploration he was he was showing me the 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 idea of well, all the different parts of the cytoskeleton of the cell and and how integrity might be involved so uh, this is this is becoming a little interesting i'm going every week on thursday night i go to uh to this place in second life and rudolph is often there as well so and different presenters and i'm going to be presenting actually as well sometime soon i'm going to be showing them uh, a bunch of simulated tensegrities. While I'm developing Darwin at home, I also, on the side, I'm tr- I'm trying to generate some movies about uh, tensegrities so that I can give a, an interesting discussion of of what what it what it feels like and what it means to this uh, embryo physics course. It should be interesting.
0: And Dick, once he was a PhD student, doesn't he, Gerald?
1: Oh, I haven't heard anything like that.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were CC to the wide chain of texts that you should be reading and things of that nature leading towards a PhD. You
1: know, I can't, uh, <laughs> I, well, whatever. We'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, well, as, as I said, it's been wonderful chatting with you both this evening, and my hope is that in two weeks' time uh, there will be another bio-to-live. There are a few things that may occur, and also um, we may start playing with times, too. I mean, I think this time, if we did it slightly later, it might be a little easier for uh, for Gerald and Rudolph, but also I think there are other times that folks have talked about um, with regards to holding bio alive. live. So I'm open to uh, time, submission, discussion, tomatnoble8.com. It's been a pleasure talking with you both this evening and also obviously talking with Bruce initially. In two weeks' time, topic yet to be decided, but if you'd like to submit a topic, again, tomatnoble8.com. Thank you both. Thanks to the folks for listening in.